I'll be taking my text this morning from the book of Luke, chapter 18. Luke 18, starting at verse 35. And it came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the way, begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith hath saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people. When they saw it, gave praise unto God. So we're at the beginning of a new year. And this is when we all make our resolutions. And uh, some probably have already failed in the resolutions by now. It's the, uh, it's the seventh, so you've had a week. A, re- a resolution is a firm decision to do or not do something. And many at this time of year will try to find a way to improve their lives some way, whether it's to lose a little weight or get a little stronger or not do this or try to do that. But today I would like to focus on something that's a little more powerful, in fact, a lot more powerful than that, and that's conversion. Conversion is repentance and change to a godly life. Much more powerful than a resolution. A resolution is a a change of your mind, changing your mind to do something differently, but a conversion is a change of the heart. We have two examples of that this morning, one from the scripture lesson and one from one I just read. They're both beautiful conversions and very different as far as when you consider who these two men were. But at the same time, there, there are some similarities. When it comes to conversion, it's the same way. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, we all need to come to God the same way. So we start with Bartimaeus in the book of Mark. This blind man has a name. And Bartimaeus cries out to the Lord. And when people tell him to be quiet, he cries all the more. Something to be learned there. The Lord is who we want to go to. Uh, When Jesus is passing by, we want to take full advantage of the opportunity. And as everyone told him to be quiet, he cried the more, and he got Jesus' attention. We have the privilege to have Jesus ever-present. All it takes is for you to call his name, and he will be there. So the question is asked, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? 
Simple question. But when it's coming from Jesus Christ, that's a powerful question. And the results can be life-changing. When Jesus asked this question, he already knew the answer. When we find ourselves in prayer and the Lord starts to ask us a question, we can be sure he already knows what the answer is supposed to be. As he asked this man, what would thou have me to do? The answer came that I might receive my sight. Jesus had more in store for him than that. When we consider what we need from the Lord, sometimes we limit what we think he can do for us. We want to be sure to keep our heart and our minds open to the fact that Jesus can do anything. Not only did he receive his sight and receive freedom from the limitations of the blindness, he was saved. Salvation came in and he, was, he received freedom from the bondage of sin. And so we have the story of blind Bartimaeus. Now, let's take that story and put it next to the story of Saul of Tarsus, a very different man. This man could see physically, but he was blinded spiritually. Many would say he was an unlikely candidate for Christian conversion. They ran from Saul. No one dared testify or uh, tell him about the Lord because they'd probably find themselves dead. If you were to consider the idea that we would have to be interviewed first before we were converted as Christians, imagine what that would be like. We'd uh, turn in an application, and then we would have an interview, and we would be uh, asked different questions and be able to give an, an example and be able to tell how to take care of those different scenarios. And then, and then, they start to get into your character and your temperament. Are you a team player? Then they take into account what others would have to say about us. That's called references. How do you think we would do as sinners if we had to interview first? We'd be then compared to other candidates. Our conversion is not based on our knowledge of God. It's not based on our character. It's not based on our temperament or our reputation. And many of us would thank the Lord for that. No matter how we stack up the requirements to make heaven, we would not ever match up. None of us would meet the criteria. However, Bartimaeus and Saul give us an insight of what it does take. It becomes very clear that Saul repents and is ready to do the Lord's bidding as his response is a total surrender to God's will. When he says, 
What will thou have me to do, Lord? Also a powerful question. As we look into the book of Acts, chapter 9, we see that he's trembling and astonished. He's been caught off guard. Sometimes the Lord will come knocking when we least expect it. And we need to be ready to respond. See, the perfect candidate for heaven is one who will repent and surrender to God's will. There is the perfect candidate. And we can all be one of those, no matter what your reputation or what your past. Repent and surrender to God's will, and you're the perfect candidate for Christian conversion. So Paul asks, what will thou have me to do, Lord? That's a tough question. That's a question that sometimes is hard to ask. Why is that so? Why can it be hard to ask the Lord what he would want us to do? How about fear? Some will be fearful to ask because they're pretty sure they know what the answer is going to be. The Lord impresses His will on our heart, if we're honest. We know what the Lord will want us to do. Are we willing? We look at this account with Saul of Tarsus, and we see an about-face in the way he approached serving God. Verse 10, we find Ananias being asked of the Lord to go meet Saul. And uh, I wholeheartedly agree with Ananias. I would be unsure about that process and wanting to go see Saul at this point. But the Lord gives him some insight as what has happened. Verse 10, actually verse 11. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul for, of Tarsus, sorry. For behold, he prayeth. Well, Saul was a Pharisee. Certainly he'd prayed before. It wasn't strange for him to pray. But here's a difference now. Prior to this, he would say his prayers. Now he was praying his prayers. Before he would pray what he was supposed to, required by the law, now he prayed from his heart. And that's what the Lord's trying to tell Ananias, is this is a different man now. And he continues to share and uh, encourage Ananias to do what he should. And Ananias realizes that the, God, the hand of God is moving on Saul. The same can happen to you and I. I know that many here have already experienced the life-changing power of the blood of Jesus Christ in their own lives. 
but maybe some here haven't. Maybe some listening haven't. When we open our hearts to Christ as sinners, we will be convicted. There's no getting around it. That's what brought Saul to his knees on that road to Damascus. But God's grace provides mercy and forgiveness. See, this is not a change of mind. It's a change of heart. It might be a decision that starts the process, but God finishes the process. As believers today, God will call. And we will be challenged. It can sometimes feel the same as conviction. It doesn't always feel good when God calls. He's going to bring us out of our comfort zone. I want to read something from Titus. Because God gives the grace that we need. And His grace provides holiness and power to the believer when we open our hearts to Him. Titus 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. This is the grace of God that teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The grace of God. God's faithful to help us. Prayer is the focus. We must focus our prayer on Jesus. It's vital that we have our prayers focused in the right direction. The grace of God is our lifeline. I have a, a, a paraphrase something here because it was hard to read otherwise and certainly probably would be hard to say. But we have a commentator Speaking about prayer, the regenerating power of grace sets people to pray. As impossible as it is for, to find a living man without breath, the same is true of a living Christian without prayer. If breathless, lifeless. And so, if prayerless, graceless. We need the grace of God. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Many of us know these words, but do we live them? Have we felt them break our will? We must all ask ourselves, am I a living sacrifice or do I hold too tightly to me, myself, and I? Which trinity do you pray to? Me, myself, and I, or the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? something to think about. Our will gets in the way. We want to be sure that our focused prayer and our intent 
is to serve the Lord and not ourselves. Over my career, I've had many students tell me, I can't. I used to have a sign that had the word can't with the big circle and the line through it. I don't like that phrase. I never have. But one thing about teaching music is they have to prove to me things. They have to, sh they can play and or not play. So I give some suggestions usually to students that say they can't, try to show them a few things and uh, do my best to help them. And it's not always perfect, but most of the time they need to uh, agree that they, they can. It might just take a little extra work, might have to adjust a few things, but they can. Have you ever found yourself telling the Lord, can't. I can't. Well, if it's just a change of mind, you're right. You can't. But we're talking about a change of heart here. You see, he already knows you can't. That's, that's the beauty of the gospel. He knows you can't. I can't. You can't. We can't save ourselves, certainly. So look to God today and tell Him you can't. That's a good step. There's nothing we can do without the Lord. He says that in His, in the, in his Word. You know, when we do that, that, that makes Him smile. He realizes that you get it. Now, now you're on the right track. When you know you can't, now you're going somewhere. The gospel's simple. You know, many will hit the, that place where they, the Lord's called them and they say, I can't. And up they go and out the door. I was one of those. I was in a meeting across the street during a camp meeting a long time ago. Sat through a service. I heard the gospel preached. I heard testimonies. I heard it all. And I walked away saying I can't. I threw a lot of excuses in there too, of course. You know, I'm not for organized religion. You know, yeah, I had, I had to keep, I had to prop it up a little bit, make myself look okay. But in my heart, I was saying I can't do that. I can't. What I didn't realize is I was right. I needed help. That was the key. I can't on my own. And that was where I was, uh, I was hitting that wall and didn't understand what to do. But this, this, this I can't, it belong, this, this is something that we all face, whether we're a sinner or a Christian. There comes a time where, uh, where we're going to oh, hit that wall again, where we say, I can't. But if we stay on our knees, See, this is the point, if you stay on your knees, if you continue in prayer at this point, and realize all you need to simply state is, I can't, but I know you can't. I can't, but I know you can. It says in the Word that God, with God, all things are possible. Why do we hold Him back? What are we afraid of? Are you feeling the call of God today? 
could be a sinner in here this morning. It could be a believer. It could be conviction for salvation, the sanctification, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Maybe the Lord's calling you to serve Him in a certain way. Are you feeling that today? Consider it a privilege. Bartimaeus did. Jesus was passing by. He's passing by this morning. The God of heaven wants to work His perfect will in your life and through your life to others. The call you feel may not be pleasant. It rarely is. But it leads to an abundant life and a beautiful relationship with your personal Savior, Jesus Christ. What more could you want? It's, this gospel is simple. It really is. We can't consider it as a change of our mind. It is a change of our heart. We decide whether we're going to give up our will and let the Lord have control. If we're willing to do that, you can expect victory here this morning. The key is to be open, to be honest, to be selfless, and believe. And when you do, you will be changed. The altars are open. The song is 630.